Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Check it out, and you'll hear from 49 authors about all sorts of things moms don't have time to do. All the authors have been on this podcast. Also, check out my TikTok, at with Zibby and Tracy, my other podcast, Sex Talk with Zibby and Tracy. Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zibby Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Here's a little snippet by one of the authors from the anthology. My name is Jean Kwok, and I'm thrilled to have contributed to Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. My essay is called, Whatever You Write in This Will Belong to You. And what I really don't have time for is reading the news with surprisingly disastrous consequences. Tabitha Forney is the author of Paper Airplanes, a novel. Tabitha writes books to appease the voices in her head. She's a mom, attorney, and yoga devotee who lives in Houston with her three kids and a husband who was on the 85th floor of the North Tower on 9-11 and lived to tell about it. Hi, Tabitha. <laughs> Sorry, I'm Instagram isn't my original platform, so <laughs> that's there. okay. I don't know why I do these Instagram lives. I, I don't know. There are always some hiccups getting started, but anyway, <laughs> now we're here. How are you? 
I'm doing great. Thank you. Well, I'm very excited to talk to you today about paper airplanes and Aaron and Daniel and their families and this whole journey. And I'm sorry we had to reschedule from 9-11, but thank you for understanding. I totally understand. Absolutely. It was a rough day. It was a very rough day, so I get it. Right. I feel like this 20th anniversary, I don't know. I've talked to a lot of people and it, I wasn't the only one hit hard. Chances are if I'm hit hard by something, other people are too. So turns that's, out that's true. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, let's talk about paper airplanes. I can summarize, or maybe you should summarize what it's about, but why don't you go ahead and tell people what it's about and then I'll ask you questions about it. Yeah. So paper airplane, my debut novel, and it's about a woman who loses her husband on 9-11. He is in the North Tower on the 101st floor. And it really just chronicles, there's a little bit of, there's one prologue from his perspective, but really it's mostly in Aaron's voice, his wife. It just chronicles her journey to, to recovery, to overcome the guilt and all the grief and just learn how to live again. And we really do go on Aaron's journey. I mean, you take us all the way through from, <laughs> you know, well, first of all, this is complicated grief as often grief is because she feels so much guilt, right? Erin was sitting on a beach. She had gone off on this girl's trip when she should have perhaps stayed to go to her mother-in-law's birthday party, but her best friend had broken up. And so she decided she just has to go and be a good friend versus, you know, being one of many at the mother-in-law's party. And so she finds out while she's sitting on the beach in, what was it, Mar- Marbella? Where were they? Mallorca. Mallorca. Oh my God. I cannot, my my husband Kyle's on here. He knows I cannot get these two places straight in my brain. I have some sort of like mixed wires. In fact, we even booked a trip to one intending to go to the other, but it's okay. Anyway, (laughs) so she was on the beach and felt horribly guilty because felt like if she had been home, maybe he would have left to go to the World Trade Center a little bit later. And so she lives with this grief for so long. So in addition to the unsettled feelings of not getting closure with the loss as so many of us had on 9-11. It's also, you know, her responsibility. And then of course, later you find out the friend also feels responsible for even asking her to come on the trip. So it's like, everybody is feeling, you know, a part of this situation. And by the way, what ends up happening to tie this all together at the end? Oh my gosh. I just like brought tears to my eyes. So Anyway, yes, people are asking better questions than me. What compelled you to write this story? Yeah, tell us about your husband's journey that day. I want to hear more about it. You referenced it in the book, but not that much. So, Yes, so he was on the 85th floor of the North Tower, and his experience was obviously very different from Daniel's, and I was really a little bit obsessed by how random it was that day, like where you were so much. He was on the 85th floor, and I feel like anybody 92 and above had, you know, obviously, I think that was the bright line in survival and, and not surviving. And so he just, you know, he and, and his colleagues, a small company called SMW Trading Company, he was actually about to go down the elevators over to the West Side Highway to the World Center, start his day trading, commodities trader. And so he only spent like an hour in the office every morning kind of getting ready. And so I actually didn't know where he was was still on the 85th floor, if he was in the elevators, if he'd gotten out yet, you know, before I talked to him there on the 85th floor, his boss actually saw the plane heading for their building. So that part in Daniel's story is authentic because their offices face north. And he thought it was a plane that had taken off from LaGuardia and was flying too low. And as he kept watching and kept watching, he realized that it wasn't going to bank up. And he was on the phone with his wife. This is my husband's boss. And threw the phone down and jumped into, like, 
the middle offices, like, you know, just as instinct, not that that was going to do anything if a plane is headed right out. But that was his experience. He was so close to seeing the plane that he actually saw the pilots there. And we all know now that that was Muhammad Ali. So his boss knew what had happened, told them all that it was a plane. And so within five minutes, they were heading down the stairwell. And so he just went down 85 flights of stairs. It was very quick at first. and People began to flood the stairwells. It got more congested. But his story is that people were very polite and people were very orderly. There was no pushing or shoving or yelling or like, out of here. And there was a bit of it, but it was very mild. And for the most part, just New Yorkers just orderly descended. And it took a long time. It took him like almost an hour to get out. And then he was down. They were directing people down through the tunnels, like where the subways were, where that shopping mall was. So they were directing people down and out that way so that when they came out onto the street, there were several blocks of World Trade Center. And he was down in those tunnels when World Trade Center 2 so he was very close. If you've ever seen the page World Trade Center, he was like 40 yards from where the authority officers had gotten trapped. And he had just turned a corner while he was walking down with. And that was like the second time he said he thought he would die that day. First, when the plane hit and the building swayed back and forth. And then second, when he was down there in the tunnels and that blast just came from World Trade Center 2 and just blasted through the tunnels. And I feel like if he hadn't turned that corner just a, you know, a few seconds before, it might have been a very different story for him. Oh my gosh. So does he feel like survivor's guilt at having made it out? Like, how does he feel about the whole thing? Let's get him on here. No. <laughs> right now. He did for a long time. I think when people would tell him, you know, God has plans for you, he would think, so God didn't have plans for all the people who were above me. You know, like, how did, that doesn't really answer. I know people mean well, but it doesn't really answer anything to to say that God had plans for him. So I think he did have guilt for a long time, but he talks about his experience a lot and that helps him to process it. And he's also just a very like steady personality. So he has managed it better than some colleagues, I know for sure. So, And so how did you as a spouse experience that? Like, what did you... How much did you know at the time? Like, did he, did you talk to him at all as he was escaping? Would you have known had anything happened? Like, how do you like put your life back? And then how did it culminate in this book? So I actually have, there's similarities to Aaron because I was, I had taken the red eye flight to London on September 10th. So I was there for business. I had two friends who were going to come join me on that Thursday and we were just going to have a fun weekend in London. Obviously that did not happen. So I had just arrived. I got in there like 7 a.m. London time. And I talked to him on the phone while he was getting ready for work. It was like 7 a.m., 7.30, something like that. And then I went to lunch with my colleague over there. And we came back to our, we had a one-person office, like very base in London in the financial district. And we were just working away. My colleague, his name was Ian. He got a an email and he kind of like sat back in his chair like this. And he kind of had this like smile on his face, like kind of an incredulous smile. Like you're not really quite sure what a should have yet. So you just kind of like, he just leaned back and he said, a plane just hit the World Trade Center. And I looked at him and I said, my husband works in that building. And he it like, he just like his face just dropped and like his eyes went wide. What are you talking about? And so then, of course, we tried to get on the Internet and like nothing. You couldn't get on any Internet pages. It was not probably not as redundant as it is now. So we we tried getting information all these different ways. We were just getting information from our colleagues 
clerk office who was giving us little bits and pieces of what was going on. And finally, he got an email from one of our colleagues that said, WTC2 just collapsed. And we were like, what are you talking about? That cannot happen. That cannot be true. We are not getting good information. We've got to, and I, finally, I was just like, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I've got to find a TV. And so he led me down to the street. We went down to a pub and I walked into a pub at like two o'clock in the afternoon in London and everybody was smoking and drinking. And I just remember the smoke, like just made me feel so nauseated. And we sat there for a while watching the news and everybody was watching the news and we watched as his building fell down. So in that sense, my story and Aaron's are very similar, obviously very different because she's a fictional character, but, and she had a lot of guilt issues that I didn't have. I wasn't in a spat with my husband, but I thought, what if we had been? So a lot of her story comes out of my, what if this, what if that, what if I had been there? Would he have left later or earlier? Would have he been, would he have been in the elevators? There's just so many little what ifs because every little thing you did that morning made a difference. And and yeah, and then for, for me, what if I had never heard from him? I did, to answer your question, I did hear from him after we watched the building fall down and like time seemed to stop for me. Like, I don't even really remember how we got back to my hotel, but my colleague, Ian, I was like, I can't stay here any longer. <laughs> and he pulled me out of the, the pub and we somehow found my hotel and I somehow mustered up the courage to walk up to the front desk and say, hello, I'm in room 613 or whatever. Do I have any messages? And she said in her very lovely British accent, she said, oh, yes, she's just called. She says your husband is fine. And of course, she had no idea what she was talking about. And I just like broke down in the lobby and Ian like grabbed a piece of paper. I was like, thank you very much. And then from there, it was just like a onslaught of people calling me calling people and me trying to get a hold of Billy, my husband. And we finally talked. Later, it was nine o'clock at night in London. It was like four o'clock in the afternoon in New York after he had walked all the way back up to the, we lived on the Upper West Side at 94th and Broadway. And he had walked all the way home and he'd been gone and gotten checked out at Columbia Hospital, Columbia University Hospital. And finally, we were able to connect because, you know, all the cell phones didn't work because the tower was on World Trade Center one. And we were able to connect with his friend in San Francisco finally got through to him and he said jay the first thing i want you to do is call my wife right now so this friend in san francisco patched us in a three-way conversation san francisco to new york to london actually i was in the in the middle of the english countryside by then because my colleague wanted to go to his parents house in some gloucester or, or winchester or something like that and so we were like driving through these country roads in england and the at night and I was talking to my husband. It was very bizarre and surreal, but that's the first time I was able to talk to him. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Oh my gosh, what a story. I just can't believe it. So I, I, anyway, it's unbelievable. How did you then, when did you decide you wanted to try to fictionalize this? And did you try to write about it from like a memoir type perspective over the years? And, and why now is this, why, why is it coming out now? I went to the 9-11 Memorial and Museum in September of 2015. I was up there. My husband had a business trip and I tagged along with him. And the morning I was leaving that afternoon and that morning we went to the museum and it just opened. We had been to the memorial before, but not the museum. And it was just so impactful and it brought it all back. I mean, right after the event, it was very difficult to process the event, right? Like what happened. And, and so we went on with our lives as you do and mourned those who, lost, who were lost. And, you know, we had kids, we started having kids and we moved back to Houston and we just, you know, got busy with our lives and our careers. And, but then we, when I went back to that museum and, just it all kind of came back and all the artifacts and the, the audio from, from, I remember sitting in that pub hearing the newscasters say nothing. And I wanted nothing more than information. I wanted to know what floor was hit. I wanted to know how many people were in the building. I wanted to know if they were evacuating people. I wanted to know everything and nobody knew anything. And I just remember how frustrating that was. And it all came back when I was listening to the, to the news like the morning anchors, which they play that audio in the museum. And then really what was most impactful was walking kind of towards the back of the museum and walking around like a corner. There was an alcove back there with the warning signs to those who entered that the images could be disturbing. And it was, you know, images of the people who fell to their deaths. And it just struck me as so, so sad that, those people are not only did they die in such a horrific way, but they are sometimes just not acknowledged. I think they're largely unknown, their identities. And a lot of, I've read a lot of stories about, you know, the families of people who potentially were the people who fell don't want to acknowledge that their loved one might've died that way because of religious beliefs about suicide being a sin, which I think is so sad because obviously they didn't go to work that day intending to jump out of a 110 story building and it, there was nothing that they chose about it. So I just, I just felt strongly like I had, like I, as a writer, I just wanted to shed a little light on their stories. And so I went straight to the airport, went through security, sat down at my gate and started typing out Daniel's story. And how did you recreate the first part? Because I've also wondered so much about what that, what those moments were like and how did you piece that all together and like the floor heating up and sitting on the desk and the stairwell, like, was that just from people who had been there or how did you, how did you do that? 
Very good question. A lot of it, I had my husband bet in terms of the layout of the floors because he, he worked in that building, that same building. And so I had him bet, like, is this realistic? What kinds of things did you see up here? What could you see? And after that, it was just a lot of research because obviously there's no eyewitness accounts. There are a few from the floors underneath. So that's where I got you know, that things were really hot. I, the the state of the stairwell being covered like a scree field of debris. That was all just from research I did. And it, I mean, it took forever. It was, I did painstaking research because I did not want to get it wrong. I wanted it to be as authentic as possible. And yeah, it took probably years to write that prologue. I mean, I probably edited it for years and it was, it's the most heavily researched and edited chapter in the book for sure. Well, definitely, you know, it, it's so gripping from that moment. And I mean, it, it's just so emotional and intense. And anyway, how do you feel having written it? How do you feel now that it's out in the world? It feels good. I feel like a lot of people ask me about 9-11 and I'm certainly not an authority on 9-11 or, or overcoming grief. I was really hesitant to put it out there for a long time, just as you are being a writer and putting all your thoughts out to the world. And there's just a point at which you just decide, I know my purpose in writing this was to honor the victims, and I think it's good, and I, you just have to be brave and take that step and put it out there. And it's really scary. I can't tell you how many times I wanted to pull it back. <laughs> it's like, I can't do this. I can't do this. This is so scary. And it was actually, then you get to a point of no return, and you're like, it's okay. I can do this. I can be brave and put it out there. And you get to that point and there's no turning back. So, but I do feel good. I feel, I do feel like I did my best. And, you know, I had an agent tell me that it needed to be a bigger, it needed to be a bigger story. And so I spent a year rewriting it for her to make it bigger. And then we ended up parting ways and I, I took it back to Aaron's story because bigger isn't always better. <laughs> as anybody who's watched the Lorax knows, but I just wanted to honor their stories. And I really want to, and I, and I spent so much time on the Daniel chapter that I felt like I just wanted the world to get a peek as to what it was like to be there on that day and what it was like to be impacted by that day. So that was my goal for writing it. Cause I knew from my husband's experience that there's so much interest in his experience and what it was like to be there. And so well, I don't know if you're seeing all these comments coming in on this Instagram live, but so many people are, are lauding your braveness and bravery and how much they want to read it now and, you know, how much you're honoring all the people who are affected by this by telling your own story and, and theirs as well. Other questions include, why is it called Paper Airplanes, which I know having read it, do you want to address that? Sure. There are, there's like kind of a few meanings. First of all, Paper Airplanes is how Daniel and Aaron met. And I don't remember how that came to me. I think that was just one of those like moments where you're sitting down in the zone and, and that comes out. And I love, love, love the chapter. That's actually chapter one where they met. And he, Daniel sent a paper airplane flying towards her and lit it on fire because it was his burning desire. He was, he was into paper airplanes. <laughs> he was a paper airplane craftsman, I guess. Is the, I don't know what the word is. <laughs> <laughs> or if it really exists, but that's how they met. And then that's also how they got engaged is he sent a, a paper airplane flying towards her when she was sitting at a park bench in New York. And then also the, the paper has another layer of meaning 
in that when the towers were hit, it's like a plane went in. Obviously, the, the airplane is, is symbolic of the plane, but the plane kind of went in and, and what came out was like paper, paper and smoke and fire, obviously. But I just remember the images of the paper like floating down to the ground. And like, I had this thought, like, isn't it sad that people can't float down like that? Because a lot of that paper was intact, you know, and survived. And so, yeah, it's kind of got a triple meaning there. Oh, my gosh. So, so someone's wondering if that's how you got engaged. No, it is not. <laughs> so, and hi to Ichechi from Africa is here too. So we have people from all over the world tuning into your story and the global nature of this tragedy, really. So now that you've written this and sort of spent all these years and time getting this story, having us live through Erin, all of the stuff she goes through with her coping mechanisms, how she, you know, her eating issues and drugs and alcohol and like how she gets by and regroups. And ultimately it's through helping others that she finds her meaning again in the world in the way that he wanted her to do. But, you know, as so many of us, right, you have to latch on to something that gives you meaning and purpose. And I'm anyway, I don't think that's giving anything away too much, but you know, hopefully anyway, are you writing more books now? Is this it? Are you one and done? Or do you have plans for more books? And and also, like, what advice would you have for aspiring authors? Mm-hmm. Definitely not one and done. I'm definitely a writer first and, you know, impacted by 9-11 second. I think I wrote it because I am a writer. And so I've actually got another book that's finished. Going back to that story I had with the agent where I took out half the story and tried to make Aaron's story bigger. And I brought in a a character named Rosie, who's a 911 dispatcher. And I just adored Rosie and had all these chapters dedicated to her. And I, I braided their narratives, kind of retrofit Aaron's story with hers. And then when I had the revelation that I needed to take it all apart and take it back to Aaron's story, I had all these wonderful chapters of Rosie's life. And I really wanted to explore that because she had a very complicated relationship with her mother who died when she was 10. And so I actually went off and wrote that first and finished that story called the seven best ways to die and so that is rosie and she still is in paper airplane she she is the 911 dispatcher who takes daniel's last call and then she is she's a the fire truck driver that aaron sees when she's down at ground zero looking for daniel so that's my next book and then i've got another one I've got two more in the works. One is half finished. And so, yeah, I'm going to keep writing. And advice for writers, just don't stop. Don't stop. And don't let imposter syndrome, you know, get you. Like, just keep writing and keep writing what's in your heart. I mean, I write what I'm called to write. Like, I write what pulls on me or tugs at me. And it would be easy to quit because the odds are so stacked against you. But I write because I have to. That's how I process the world and feelings and emotions and things that happen. And so just don't quit. Just keep going every day. Do a little bit, even if it's reading what you wrote the day before, just every day, stay connected to it and keep going. Don't quit. I think that's good advice for everything. It is. (laughs) Well, Tabitha, thank you. Thanks for doing this IG live today. And this will eventually be a podcast about paper airplanes. Thank you for giving us another perspective on what happened and even perhaps some closure for all of the people wondering what it might have been like. And thanks for letting me reschedule this, but I'm glad we finally spoke. And thank you so much. Thank you. It's so great to chat with you. You're amazing. You're an inspiration, all the stuff that you do. I don't know how you do it. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. (laughs) All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. 
thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 